1: Welcome to another episode of the Self Build Plus podcast, where we chat with self builders, suppliers, and experts about all things home building and renovating in Ireland on both sides of the border. I'm Astrid Mattson, your host and the editor of Self Build Magazine. Today, we'll be chatting with Ronan and Laura Campbell, whose home is on the cover of our winter 2022 edition of Self Build Magazine. They managed to build themselves a house in Dublin on Ronan's parents' driveway thanks for joining us guys and we might as well start at the beginning so tell us all about how you got to the point of being able to build this laneway house
0: hi astrid thanks so much for having us yeah well we were based in canada um, in and around 2017 and we really did want to move home and we spoke to ronan's parents who did have quite a big driveway and asked them if we could possibly build um, in what really is an infill site um, on the grounds of their current home. Um, and they said yes, like if we, if we could um, get planning permission that we were welcome to build in, in what really is a laneway house um, at the side of their current home.
1: Yeah, I mean that's it's it is it's funny because oftentimes with self builds there'll be a, a plot of land you're gifted or something. This is like quite literally, yeah, uh, a plot of yeah. land really that you're gifted. Yeah. So it's
2: <laughs> a plot of land yeah. in in a side garden as well. Just I suppose like in terms of it's it's less driveway. I suppose we share the driveway, but it's more that it was the kind of like a large back garden as well. So we kind of just it was a very misshapen site that we we're able to kind of plonk this. I suppose, this new house under.
0: And we like we had been very yes. inspired um, during our time in Canada. Like laneway housing, it's a huge thing over there. It's not as big of, of, a, of a trend here in Ireland, which is a real pity. But we'd been inspired by um, an architecture company in Calgary called Studio North who have an amazing array of laneway style housing. And, you know, we had the opportunity at an open house to go and visit one of these. And we had seen like the what they could achieve in a really small space and a misshapen space as well, which I think had we not seen that home, we mightn't have really had the vision for this, this house and this build. And so that really inspired us and got us thinking, well, you know, I think you need a lot less space than you actually think you do to have a home. Like looking at this plot where the house currently is before the house was here, like you would never have thought that a three bed house could have fit here. Um, and we were really shocked that it did
1: yeah so how does it fit like is it quite narrow then the the plan and in, in tall or how does how did you have to configure to to cuz it's a triangular site isn't it
2: yeah it's kind of it's kind of misshapen from like a, a shape perspective we actually ended up um, taking off a little bit of the original house um, just i suppose next door to us so we were able to basically leverage that space and it actually did end up being I suppose, like a, it ends up as a as kind of very similar square footage. Just you know, you wouldn't realize you could fit it there with all the angles of the site itself. So it ended up being just a rectangular house, um, just put down there.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then, uh, yeah. So the 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 way to maximize the space then is to go two story. How do you get two all story, that source? Yeah. Yeah. 100%, yeah.
2: Two story. We ended up having a bit longer on the. On, I suppose, the ground floor um, mm-hmm. to kind of really kind of extend out. So our our nearly our bedroom, because it is an upside down house, our bedroom's at the back and that actually extends past, let's say, the boundary of the first floor.
1: Right. OK. So then how, how big is the house? It's how it's, many square feet? I think
2: it's 127 square meters.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
2: Square feet, I think it's 1377, something like that.
1: Yeah so that's that's you know by by standards in new builds that's fairly modest it's but it's it's enough you're saying do you, do you have kids or on the way or what's what's the story
2: we it's enough space i definitely think like we have an open plan living room open plan kitchen um, and we definitely leverage that to actually maximize on the space so i found like if we were to have walls i think every room would be like a little box room mm-hmm. that you'd be used to back in the day whereas The actual space we have now, we've got a bigger bedroom than we used to have in in the house we rented. Um, The Let's say bedroom two is bigger than a normal bedroom as well, I think. And then we have a small box room spare, um, which we use as an office at the moment.
0: Like our architect had played a huge role in making the best out of the space that we did get. And, you know, he, he brought the design in where we had to um, just to uh, try and, you know, get across the line for planning. Um, but to us, like, we did go to a lot of house showings before we started the build here. And, you know, it just nothing excited us about the three-bed semi-D flat pack houses that were available around Dublin. And, you know, a lot of times we were priced out of them as well. Um, but we we had some things on the list uh, that were kind of non-negotiables and uh, you know we gave those things to our architect before he even started the design process and so to us you know it's you need a lot less space than you think you do like we still have um, three bedrooms two bathrooms a walk-in closet you know uh, and really it's just you know I think if the bigger the house you have, you just buy stuff to fit into it anyway. So, you know, at the end of the day, we we got everything that we wanted that, you know, we, we mightn't have even been able to afford had we just brought a standard home here in Dublin.
2: Yeah, I think, it, yeah. I suppose, our focus was like minimal. So yeah. everything in the house is really black and white. And then as we kind of, I suppose we've been in the house, what, a year and a half, two years now. Um, at the start, we hadn't bought anything. Laura's mentioned this to me earlier that, You know, for the first year, we only had really like we had the couch, the bed um, and a couple of small things. We had the kitchen island. And then after that, we kind of just like realized, okay, well, you know, minimal is nearly from our perspective was nearly Spartan. Right. Like there was nothing in the house. It didn't have it didn't have that level of warmth or like kind of um, coziness that it needed to. So we kind of really focused on kind of bringing in those kind of more warmer tones, more, I suppose, homely. Feeling within the house, just with the carpets we added in and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so it was a it was a process of living in the house and seeing what was missing from it once you had your shell. Then, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so yeah, so what were the non negotiables when you mentioned that you you talked so, to your architect and you were saying
0: we wanted to make the best use of light. And that's kind of what brought us to, you know, the idea of having an upside down house. We, it's not something that you see a lot um, in Ireland, but you know, as you can see, as the as the short evenings are coming in now at the moment, you know, we only have light for X amount of hours in the day, and we wanted to be in our living space to enjoy those those good hours of daylight. Um, so we decided, like the best way to do that would be to have the living space upstairs and to really maximize windows and light and
2: and the white walls as well.
0: Yeah, and the what? We the white. Um, I know <laughs> a lot of people are into a lot of people are into doing like themes for their rooms, but like we wanted to. We want. We only had a certain amount of space and like we wanted the house to you know have a feeling that ran through it, you know, clean, open lines. So, I think like maximizing light was our number one thing. Um storage was our next thing. We don't like clutter, and it's always a big issue with open plan homes. Um so, you know, with our architect, we we do have sneaky storage all around the house. And um, we have it was one of the things that we wanted a washer and a dryer. <laughs> we sound like we're from New York, but we're really not. We really wanted a washer and a dryer. Um, so our architect made a plan for those to be installed underneath the stairs. So we have like a bit of a utility closet in there. That was one. Um, we definitely light space. We wanted three bedrooms, a walk-in closet, um, and like a we wanted like a book room, didn't we, Ronan? Yeah, like a, reading like no. a, like That a, actually
2: ended up changing.
0: Yeah, we wanted a reading nook, which, uh, you know, as the, the build went on, that kind of changed because it turned out that Ronan was going to be working from home. So we kind of have a home office upstairs at the back of our living space or at the front of our living yeah. space, really.
2: I think one more thing, and I suppose it became kind of an, an issue in the build, was we wanted a polished concrete floor on top and bottom and potentially on the stairs as well, and um, we love that polished concrete look. And then just with regards to the actual build type with the steel frame, um, the polished concrete floor upstairs became like just nearly a, a no-go. So originally it was absolutely one of our essential requirements. And then it, it changed due to just basically the feasibility of doing that upstairs was nearly impossible just with the depth of the concrete pour, the weight of the, the floor itself. Um, so we had to kind of change away from that. And we didn't want to just change that upstairs um, and have a polished concrete floor downstairs with something weird upstairs. Um, given that it is the living space, there are hard floors, we could just carpet a kitchen. Mm. Um, so we ended up going for this micro cement, which we were able to kind of like, it's basically a very thin pour plastic concrete. And then we were able to do that all the way up the stairs. So like really the, the tone of the floor continues throughout the house upstairs and into the kind of main living space in the living area upstairs as well.
1: Cool. And, um, and just to go back to the planning stages in terms of planning permission, were there any um, issues or how to go with them? And did they yeah. put in conditions? Um,
2: planning, I suppose, <laughs> definitely non-standard. So it was a non-standard build. I suppose we, we can see that in the pictures of uh, of the actual house, but um, it is secreted away down a cul-de-sac. So it gave us a bit of flexibility with the planning and Mark, the architect, and knew kind of the constraints that we were allowed to kind of leverage there. Um, what we did find though, when the planners, when we had submitted the original planning was that the there were additional planning requirements that we needed to satisfy. So I suppose two main planning requirements, um, there was heritage trees in the graveyard across the wall um, beside our house. So we needed to make sure they were protected. So we ended up having to put down a deposit of 7,000 euro for that, which was lovely to discover. Um, and then we also had to do a like an arbor sur- arborist survey, like a tree survey to basically say, you know, these are the trees, these are the cordons you have to build up. And this is what you need to, to satisfy. And then secondarily, because of those heritage trees, there was a potential for bats to exist in them. Um, and bats are protected under, I think it's EU regulation to do with building. So we needed to actually satisfy that by doing a bat survey to confirm if, or if not, there were bats in those trees. And if there were, thankfully there weren't, but if there were, that would have caused additional complexity. We had to, we'd have had to satisfy other kind of requirements to make sure that if we were changing their flight path, that we would have to um, basically build a little house for them on our house, which is definitely a new experience.
0: Yeah, like we are really, we're really, really um, privileged to have heritage trees, you know, overhanging above the house. but. The county council currently have 7,000 euro on deposit to, to ensure that those were protected throughout the build and that they weren't impacted by the build. And, you know, these are things that you just you you don't initially budget for them. But it, it's a good lesson that you should have um, a little bit of emergency funds set aside before these bills, because it is exactly things like this that crop up and Like we hadn't even broken ground before we had to pay that out, so like it yeah. was, it did come as a surprise with us. But it was a, it, from the council's perspective, it, it, it was something they couldn't budge on.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. We'll back as a nice little honeymoon trip next year.
1: <laughs> yeah. So when are you long get long-term <laughs> plan? Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> when when did you get your deposit back?
2: No. no, no. It's three years. It's held for three years
1: okay So wow. we're
2: going to be getting a tree survey done probably i don't know maybe like july next year um and then i suppose from there all going well we will get that return so uh, definitely a new experience we asked for flexibility from the planning co- um from the planning company from the planning um board and they basically said no there's absolutely no flexibility this deposit needs to exist and, and stay so and um, mm-hmm. like even in the situation like at the end of the day like The planning folks are human. Like I suppose that's the other side of it. There are these planning conditions, um, but at the same time there is like ability through the architect to try and challenge a little bit in terms of, you know, how much flexibility do we have in these certain conditions like this, this Mm -hmm. might be overzealous. In this case, you know, it was a non-negotiable for them, but um, definitely, definitely was worth the swing.
0: And, you know, we we were kind of adamant from the outset of the build that we would, we would really like to stay as close as we could to having a passive build so like you can't have you know these environmental concerns and you want to have a passive build and then on the other hand and um, decide that you know <laughs> you're willing to let heritage heritage trees die as part of your yeah, build so absolutely. you know we you know we, we understood the process and i think a huge lesson in that was uh, and something that i would recommend for anyone else and um, starting the process is Get an architect um, on your team that understands how the process works and who has a lot of experience with with scenarios like this. Because I think you know Mark kept us calm when these things did come up during the course of the planning process. And um, nothing phased him, and it really did phase us. So yeah. um, it, it was really handy to have him, you know, giving us that support in the background.
1: And and architecturally, then, the planners were okay with the, the sort of modernist design sim- because it was, you know, at the end of the cul-de-sac. Was that kind of how it went? Or did yeah. you have to make concessions on that?
2: No, I don't. Like, in terms of design, we didn't have to make any concessions, really. Um It was mainly just all of the other things we had to satisfy. Yeah. In terms of the tree survey and the bat report. Because it was put away. Um we just did have that flexibility and the other side of it as well as like part of the plan itself was that the house was actually back set away from the line of the normal houses on the row we'll say right so it was set back i think maybe a meter two meters you don't really see it but because of that when you're walking down the road you don't initially see our house
1: yeah that's kind of nice actually isn't it
2: yeah so i think that also helped kind of like allay the planner spheres
1: yeah and the garden space how big is your your back garden then so you had room to to set back as well
2: yeah off the top of my head i i I think actually i'll absolutely butcher this number but i think the total site space is 250 so if it's 250 meters squared 170 175 i think it's about 100 or maybe like 75 meters squared is the kind of back garden space
1: yeah Yeah. so it's big enough back garden yeah 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 and um and then so then walk us through the the next phases so you got through your whole design planning permission granted so what happened next
0: so next we we i guess we broke ground yeah, around, it was mortgage, i
2: suppose first and then
0: yeah like uh, we had to jump through i think huge hoops to to get our mortgage in place um and i think ronan ronan self-employed or as a consultant so um, you know, there was additional things that we had to do for that.
2: Yeah. So I suppose for my side, I didn't have the requisite, like three years audited books because we just moved back from Canada. Right. So we had our savings from Canada and then we had, you know, I had a letter from my company basically saying, look, this is effectively a permanent contract. And um, so we had to basically like, thankfully, Bank of Ireland were very flexible with us on that. So. I suppose that's that's definitely positive, but due to that issue, like we had to jump through, you know, we had to give consistent, you know, financial statements, you know, earnings and pay slips for Laura and myself. Um, it just made things a lot more complex. So I think that that honestly cost us mm. a couple of months. Like we started the the mortgage process as soon as we had planning permission. Mm. So you can't really apply for a mortgage for a new build until you have planning permission. There's just no point. The bank won't, you know consider it until something exists from a planning perspective so you know from there i think we were we were approved in like april march april um and then from there we actually ended up like it took us about the guts of i suppose until november so the guts of eight months to get approved for the mortgage so prior to that as it was kind of in progress we did break ground we put i think it was about 15 grand of our own cash up front just to kind of really kick this off and get the groundwork done.
1: And there were no issues with the mortgage afterwards? Sometimes they, they like you to wait to, you know, to release the stage payments. That wasn't a problem.
0: Um, so it actually was a problem, um, which obviously you, you can't plan for these things. But after um the pandemic started and COVID broke out, we were between stage payments and we got in touch with the bank because our builder had said that he's ready for the next stage of the build, and we got a notification from Bank of Ireland that they 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 wanted to put through a fresh request for information from us, um, so they needed you know new bank statements. And I, I guess at the end of the day, what they were looking for was to see if either Ronan uh, or my um, employment position had been compromised in any way by the pandemic. So, you know, it kind of made us laugh at the time, uh, though it, it wasn't really funny. But what, what they were getting at, and like I, I actually said this to them at the time, you know, we have half of a house built and we are paying a mortgage that has already been drawn down. So are you telling us that if either of us had been compromised by the pandemic in our employment, that you know you'd be, you'd leave us with half of a house built and still renting, um, and they kind of said yeah like their their risk their risks had changed and they they needed to sort of reassess us, um so that wow. was we were yeah we were very lucky at the time that uh, neither of us had been impacted by the pandemic but you know I think there were days when both of us wanted to call Joe Duffy about this <laughs> and have a chat because you know we had, you know, they were, the bank would have been on that stage contractually obliged to fulfill their part of the bargain. You know, we had both signed a contract um, for a mortgage. So, you know, I, I I would hate to think what would happen had mm-hmm. either of us actually, you know, lost our employment or something because of COVID. But um, yeah, so we, we had to reissue new statements. And, you know, we came through the other side and, and they they did permit our next stage payment. But uh, the pandemic, you know, caused other delays for us that um, basically set our set our build back about three months.
1: Right. Yeah. So, did the mortgage process set back the build, or were you just you just kept going with the build? I presume when you were sending I, in all your I pay- think
2: I think all the mortgage process really did was just stress us out, honestly.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: just like in, it didn't really cause any delays. I was on the phone i think they were probably sick of me talking to them as well i was on the phone nearly every day trying to get the and every stage payment released you know on time so i think my consistent pestering made sure that it happened um so like in terms of delays not really i think the key delay was the actual i suppose the initial payment right getting the actual mortgage fully approved and then you know we did have to give a massive lump sum uh to get the 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 kind of steel ordered and that was i think about 150 thousand of the whole kind of like mortgage had to be released so that was the main delay it was just the initial kickoff after groundworks were done mm-hmm. but i thought it was kind of like in parallel to the work being done during groundwork so mm-hmm. no real delay on, on from the mortgage
0: perspective we definitely i think would have to do a little bit more than your average mortgage and um, applicant though because i think the bank are so not used to builds of the nature that our home was—that you know—they needed an additional level of comfort on why they we needed so much upfront in our first stage payment. Yeah. and like they, that's not the norm for them. You know, groundworks wouldn't typically cost that much, but because I think in a build like ours, that's like a steel frame. There's a lot of upfront cost that they're not used to seeing, and um, sort of once we explained it to them, and you know they kind of saw the invoice coming through from the builder, that kind of alleviated any concerns on their side. But I think it is a point just to to note and be cognizant of if you're if you're endeavouring to do something like this yourself.
1: Yeah, so you had an engineer sign off on the stages, I presume, for the bank to release the stage payments, so they would have had to vet everything, wouldn't they? Or an yeah. architect, or was your yeah, architect our,
2: doing that? Our, our architect signed off on it based on the kind of like builder spec on what they had said they'd do. Um, lovely scanning problems and all sorts of just days wasted with that as well. But I suppose like that's just filling in a form and then filling in the form correctly. Mm. So I suppose like really that's on the person filling in the form that it is. Yeah. Um, I suppose a delay on the bank side, so it was just more that they refused forms because they weren't clear, or they refused forms because a p- certain portion wasn't signed correctly or clearly. Um, but that was no, that was that was standard enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's it really is a box sticking exercise, quite yeah, literally. They're, yeah, they're yeah. protecting themselves, like mm, um, mm, yeah. Mm. So, so in terms of the COVID delays, what were those? Um, was it getting materials? Was it the builders not showing up? What? How were you affected by it? Yeah.
0: Well, interestingly, we we got a delay in our windows, so our windows got delayed at one of the ports. So they were we had ordered them in from Poland. Um, you know, it's they were all bespoke windows because obviously in a bespoke custom build like this, that's that's sort of the nature the nature of it. And they gotten delayed by about three weeks.
2: Yeah, so, three weeks. yeah, three weeks. There was a, there was an issue on one of the windows that they produced originally, and oh, because yeah. of that, it kind of just. It created this ripple effect, and then COVID occurred, mm. basically within that three weeks. Like I suppose, the intensity of you know the COVID COVID kind of like just I suppose becoming part of our everyday lives just flew in.
0: So the the wind the windows arrived on a flatbed truck in March twenty
2: nineteen. Um, terrible years.
0: Yeah, they've all blurred into one. They arrived the evening that Leo Radker came on the TV and made the first announcement that, that we were shutting down the country.
1: Yeah, um, that was 2020,
0: I think, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so li- literally that happened that evening, the yeah. evening that they arrived. So unfortunately, like, when... When they arrived, the the builders had no choice but to shut up the site. So the site was completely shut down, and then did stay down like for yeah, three eight, months, right?
2: I think it was about eight weeks. Yeah. Um, weeks. So, like, I think if the windows had have been in, right? I think if we had two extra days, right? So we got them on a Friday at six o'clock. Leo came on the TV at eight o'clock that night, right? So we got the call. We were absolutely delighted. We can get cracking. You know, if there is a lockdown, we'll have time to get the windows in. And I believe builders were allowed to work if it was in within like a specific building site confined inside or something like that. I think there was something with the regulations there. So if we had have had two days for them to put in the windows, they could have continued on working while the lockdown was in place. At least that was my understanding at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so eight weeks, the windows are sitting outside the house, mm. you just you know cordoned off. Like, we, we have one large window, and that was just sitting out there. And I was praying that, like, I don't know, there wouldn't be heavy winds or, mm. you know, anything like that, that would somehow, you know, hit through the protective material around them. Yeah. Um, but eventually then, like, I suppose the Ireland opened up, and, and we were allowed to get back to work. And then, you know, we were told eight weeks to finish. Mm-hmm. Then we were told 12 weeks to finish, eight weeks after that. And just with, I suppose, different delays and also builder priorities as well, right? Like they had other jobs on at the same time. I really think whoever is shouting the loudest with the builder gets their work done first. And I think we just, we were living in um, Doolin County Clare at the time with my parents, just because the kind of, I suppose it was a better situation for us to work from home there. And so we weren't on site as often, right? We checked in every couple of weeks, but that was it. So, you know, when work didn't, I suppose we were waiting for some sort of headway with plastering on the walls and and that kind of stuff. And we saw that it wasn't done. I think I just lost it that day. I suppose that was the biggest day where, you know, we just, like the frustration boiled over because we've been waiting X amount of time for this plastering to occur. And we were told, yeah, everything would be ready in eight weeks. Like we'd be able to move in probably in, I don't know, June, July. And June, July came and plastering still wasn't done. Mm -hmm. So I I remember just getting on the phone with the builder and losing my mind That uh, is like pushing
0: That's something that we were warned about at the outset of the build from our builder. You know, when you initially start a build, you see great leaps. So, you know, you see the groundworks begin and finish. Then you see the frame of the house arrive and go up and everything seems to happen so fast. But it's at the end then when, you know, the touches like you start doing the plastering, the windows go in and, you know, you see the finishing touches begin And, you know, people lose steam at that point, and that's just human nature. And our builder warned us about that. Um, You know, and he said, I think the the main foreman on site said, you know, he would make it his business to be on site as much as possible close towards the end of the build, because you know, the devil is in the detail. And that's unfortunately the point at which, you know, builders get tired on a project and they start cutting corners. And that's the absolute opposite thing that you want to happen um, at the finishing stage.
2: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: So so you guys were in Clare then and your parents, were they? So, Yeah. Okay. There was a period
0: of time there during the pandemic where we had half of a house built here on site and then... We were paying rent for a house that we weren't currently living in, paying a mortgage on the house that we didn't live in. And because there were four of us, including our two housemates, uh, trying to work at the kitchen table during the pandemic. So we actually moved in with our in-laws for the duration of the pandemic. So we were on the other side of the country for six months.
1: Okay, but so who kept an eye on the site then, with all that precious those precious windows and everything? I would have no. assumed your parents would have been in the house next door, but if
2: no, there was uh, there wasn't really. I suppose like the the folks next door kind of were, were texting us if there was any real updates, but because everything right. was just on yeah. hold, that's yeah. it. Nobody, like that's it, right? Like we were stressing about the windows because they were just sitting there, right? You got about mm, twenty yeah. Yeah. worth of windows just sitting at the front open to the elements and you're you're just hoping that nothing goes wrong
0: yeah like it's it's kind of like losing your glasses you're hoping that whoever finds them doesn't have your exact prescription yeah and you know the custom windows they wouldn't really be of much use to anyone else who didn't have our exact build but it was still like it was very worrying to have that amount of product just on really what essentially is our front garden now and you know they were just there for eight weeks sitting you know you know, being um, uh, yeah. you know the elements on top of them, but um, yeah, yeah, thankfully none of them broke while they were sitting out right
1: there. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's good. Obviously, yeah, it could have gone another way, but that's good. So, so the the building method choice. So walk us through that. You you chose a steel frame, which is quite unusual. Um, how did that process go?
2: Yeah, so I think that came t- kind of partially through the architect. So he'd worked with um, Chris and the, you know, Cap Eco Homes before. So he knew that it was a good kind of, I suppose, build method. Um, it was kind of two main things though, right? Like cost was one thing. We put out a tender for the house um, because it was non-standard. Uh, people kind of, I think they just inflated the price so they didn't have to do it. But we, we ended up getting tenders for maybe, I think it was like 400,000, 450,000. And at the time that was a gigantic shock because we were originally told, you know, 250 to 3 maybe.
1: Mm. And
2: then when we got the tender from
1: yeah. So that was in 2019, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was before everything went crazy.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. Just before everything went crazy. And then we yeah, so then so Chris gave us that quote of 305. I think it ended up being and we were very close to that in the end after, like, and that was all in, right? So it was steel frame finishing the whole shebang. And um, from there. Like it was the other kind of real consideration was speed right so you know you have your normal standard build your bricks go up takes x amount of days to put the bricks up you then have to roof the house all that kind of stuff you're talking weeks there and um, our house was framed in three days right and that was a key consideration as well so it was like you know you're spending the majority of the time finishing which i suppose every build takes right finishing takes forever um mm-hmm. but, The flip side was we were shortening the period where the actual framing was done. So we framed all the way up to the roof in three days. Um, And it was absolutely amazing to see. Like we were at that stage, we were next door seeing it go up. Um, And it was just, it was absolutely gas because, you know, you're able to see the actual scale of the house, not just the design anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's... Super cool. Um. So the, the you mentioned the mortgage was um was a bit um you know apprehensive about the that unusual unusual like non standard building method yeah. even yeah. though it's like been used for eons. But um was insurance an issue as well or how did you tackle that or was yeah it-
2: insurance insurance for for us it wasn't an issue during the build itself. I think prior to actually getting insurance. I think I kind of noticed, like we had originally planned a flat roof, right? The design was a flat roof and for upstairs. So like from my side of things, like I personally didn't like the idea of having a flat roof just in terms of leaks, like there's a higher chance of leaks. And then because of that, then I did look into insurance on a house with a flat roof and I called insurance companies and I I kind of, I got a quote from that side of things. And they were like, like one of the questions they ask is, is your house more than I think it's like 30% flat roof? right and obviously ours was going to be 100% flat roof and um, so that would have just triggered an, a huge amount of issues and that actually ended up being one of the best kind of i suppose outcomes that we could have hoped for because we ended up going for this peaked ceiling that's like mm. the cathedral ceiling upstairs which you know it just allows us to kind of feel like there's a there's a huge amount of space upstairs because of that then and then and the kind of the benefit with insurance then is we bypass that issue right like if we have the we have a more standard peaked roof um and then yeah I, I, there wasn't any issue there really it was just more about disclosing the fact that it was of non standard build um so like with the with the steel frame
1: yeah 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 um and then so in terms of uh budget keeping on track you were saying that you you basically did manage to to stay within budget did you have a fixed price contract how was that all managed on the yes yeah, so we had
2: so- we had a fixed tri- price contract of i think it was like 30 I feel it was like 305 and change and um, in terms of budgeting like we so that was said at the at the start of the build that included all the finishes it included polished concrete the whole you know build build and um i suppose finishing from our side then myself and laura had a budget uh, based on the mortgage and based on our savings that we had available to kind of finish whatever we needed to right so in terms of bathrooms spending there and tracking all those so like i basically have a line item in every in a, like in a set in a tell spreadsheet um, where like you know we had the full bill but then we had everything else right like architect costs you know x amount it was about 30000 for an architect and um, planning fees i think it was about 6 or 5 not 100% there um, but then there's all these other account- like you know budget considerations like you know you have your service fees you have you have to get electricity you have to get water you have to get um wastewater treatment if you don't have access to that And all those are like two grand and that adds up as well so you know you start with hey it's going to be 305 but what it ends up being is actually it's going to be about 400 because of all the things like you still have to live in the house you still need appliances you still need you know your white goods you still need tiling or you know paint on the walls all that kind of stuff so um, that all that all was added extra and we were I was tracking it as we went then as I paid it off as we saved for it as we kind of continued so each line item became like it was it was striking by the end of it that we actually hit into the 400s mm-hmm.
0: I think one thing that the builder told us when we got our we got an itemized breakdown invoice basically so if there was something missing from that invoice we were going to be liable for it. Um, And vice versa, you know, if there was something on that that we noticed wasn't in the house, the the builders were liable to cover that. And so we I think each party just needed to be very careful about and very explicit as to what was included in that itemized um, invoice. And, you know, I think there were points during the build where we noticed that you know, the, the products that were listed on the itemized list weren't the same ones that were used as part of the finishing. I think one of those was, you know, the paint. <laughs> we want, we were very specific. We wanted, um, what's that? Dulux. Yeah, we wanted Dulux paint. Um, we noticed that Dulux, they, they hadn't um, used Dulux for the house. Um, and it turned out, you know, they'd just gotten a deal on, on a cheaper paint, so you need to be careful with things like that. Now, by the time we noticed, the house was already painted, and you know it all worked out fine. But you do need to really micromanage, I think, especially closer to the end of the build.
2: Yeah, and I suppose one other thing as well is like Laura touched on, you know, the fact that an itemized list. The the more itemized you can get the list, the better. Yeah, like builders will definitely shy away from that piece because you know that immediately puts it in writing you know, that they're liable for this, this fee, right? So like knowing that inside out, having that clarified and um, understanding who is responsible for what piece of the build and who's covering X amount. So, you know, we had one piece, which was the stairs at the back, right? Like the stairs were fabricated and um, our only subcontractor in the entire build, right? And it was the only thing that went wrong um, and went badly wrong. Mm-hmm. But that was separate. And um, that was, that was to be covered by us. And, you know, originally it was priced at maybe 10 grand for the, the entire stairs and fit. And then it ended up getting larger and larger because of all the different requirements to make sure it was structurally sound with the steel frame, because, you know, it, it, like, there is significant weight with that stairs leaning on the house all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was there was like basically the the supplier was like, look, that's not something I can sign off on until we kind of, we put a steel post in and we, you know, anchor it different ways. And and basically the, the kind of cost rolled up there, but Again, that was a cost that we were taking, and it was the it was really the only cost that really skyrocketed.
1: Right, and and so how did you how did you deal with the paint situation? Did you let it go because it had been done already? Yeah. And just came, kind of came,
2: yeah, like I think it came down to reconciliation, right? So at the end of a build, you owe X amount by the end, right? So we had let's say we owed them twenty grand, and then they're like, additionally, you owe us. I think it was like 15 grand was the, was the quote in the end, which in fairness wasn't actually as bad as we thought it would be. But the flip side is, you know, there are errors in the course of a build as well, right? So like you're tracking those errors. We had a list of them. We had windows put in the wrong way. So wow. our sliding doors open right to left. They should have opened left to right. And uh, that would have caused significant delays on the build. So basically you have to keep score, right? What mm-hmm. can you it with and then basically what can you penalize the builder for or not penalize the builder i feel like that's bad phrasing um but what can you get value out of in the end with that reconciliation process so you know there's x amount of errors and then there's x amount of overspend and basically you just offset that so like we got a quote for 15 at the end and i was like well okay here's all the stuff that you owe us for in terms of the stuff that went wrong and I, i basically went back with here i'll give you two grand
0: yeah, like there's um, and we met
2: in the middle then, really.
0: There's a level of haggling you can do at the end. You know, like we could mention to them, you didn't use Dulux, but at the end of the day, brilliant white is brilliant white. So yeah, it didn't exactly it, it didn't break our hearts. But you know, certain things we we did say, you know, like that's not what we asked for. Um, for instance, and this comes back to kind of micromanaging the build at the end. Um, Ronan and I wanted to do like uh, non-standard bathrooms. We wanted waterproof plaster on the walls um, instead of tiling, and we had wanted grey for the main bathroom downstairs and white for the ensuite. And when we did a site visit, <laughs> we noticed that they had done the ensuite grey and the main bathroom white, which just that was not what we wanted. And you know, the the plaster that we had bought was incredibly expensive like even more expensive than tiling the entire rooms would have been Um, and that was something that you know we even though we we might have lost a couple of days in time we insisted that they correct that and so you know you're willing to let certain small things go but other things when things are non-negotiable for you you really have to push through on them even if you know (laughs) your builder will get mad at you and that's okay like our architect uh mark told us at the outset of the build that by the time the build was over, you would hate your builder and you would hate me. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not that bad. We, 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 we have a really good relationship with both of them. Um, but, you know, you, you do get fatigued um, at the end um, of the process. But um, I think at the end of the day, they understand. And um, if you talk to them in a way like, this is going to be my forever home, um, they get it. You know, they're in it as much as you
1: are. Yeah, yeah, it is about communication, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh,
0: and, you know, you really, you're, you, your builder and your architect are a partner in the process. Like there's no one person that's more important. Um, you know, you're relying on them to deliver something that's going to be like one of the biggest parts of your life for the rest of your life. So, you know, it's to your advantage to keep them on side and not to annoy them too much uh, and vice versa.
1: Mm -mm. so then for the bathroom who paid for the materials if you say the plaster was really expensive like did they have to pay for for it or how do you manage it
0: well, thankfully, Ronan, who is the building equivalent of Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, had bought extra. And um, so he had bought extra of the grey plaster and bought a little bit of extra of the white plaster. And um, so they ended up having to redo both rooms. So I think they got like two coats of the plaster in the correct rooms. Yeah, it should, have been, it, yeah, it should yeah. have been
2: three, but I suppose that directly impacted the quality of the finish in the room that was white because yeah. it wasn't crystal white the way it should have been like
0: to this day i am sure i can nearly see gray coming through the <laughs> white bathroom and uh, which does annoy <laughs> me and i think one day we will have to change it because i i'm sure i can see a bit of gray again coming through yeah, it but, but- Again, we almost created that because we were like, "Wouldn't it be awful if <laughs> they painted the rooms the wrong colors?" Uh, we we brought it into existence by thinking yeah. it. We
2: emphasized it multiple times, but it still yeah. failed.
0: Yeah, like we but. actually were on site and wrote, um, you know, like on the paint pots, we wrote uh, white plaster ensuite uh, on every single bucket, but the you know the you know best laid plans uh, at yeah. the end of the day.
2: But um, in, in the end, they actually ended up like, that was part of the negotiation piece, right? In the reconciliation. I was like, look, the finish in those rooms isn't up to par. You wasted a third of our product. Mm. The product cost X. Therefore, you know, I'm offsetting it by that.
0: And they, um, they absolutely, there's the certain things they absolutely wouldn't fight on us because at the end of the day, we were right, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Then it's, it's, I suppose it's keep track. No matter what, things are going to go wrong. I think so much went wrong. I think at every stage, A supplier messed up an order like every single opportunity they did and you just have to get used to the fact that people are just going to mess up stuff and you have to be okay with the fact that like you will be reacting and making quick decisions and and shouting down the phone at people to kind of get their act together but at the end of the day like it is time that's the thing like if you if you have time you're okay
1: yeah yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do when you're working full time for sure. So, so what happened with the stairs then? Give us a little, <laughs> if oh if you have the energy for it.
2: yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go on this. Um, so basically the stairs had to be bolted into the frame of the house, right? Yeah. Because of that, the, I suppose the side of the house and like the, the air tightness barrier and everything like that had to be cut. Um, then there was delays with the stairs being, uh, I think they're, what, what do they call it, coated? Like whatever they, yeah uh, like coated in black, basically the stairs are like matte black, so they had to be coated specifically. Um, so there was delays there, so the, he- the stair area was wide open for about three weeks during like intensive rain.
0: And the stair provider arrived on site with the stairs when they were actually finished. Uh, under the assumption that our home was a regular block build and not a steel frame Um, and when that happened they had to go with the stairs and like the builders had to come up with a way to like attach the stairs to a non-standard non-traditional build and you know of course, we would have sent them our plans before they had even put the stairs into process because it was a huge chunk of change to, to get that stairs made. But, uh, you know, at some point um, in the production, either those, fa- those plans fell away or they forgot that the house was a steel build. So, you know, it was never envisioned that we would have, what is it, like a, a support structure built? Yeah,
2: exactly. Oh, so like, basically nearly like a, a support column built had to be cast into concrete, like whole dog cost time cost that had to be, you know, powder coated as well. Finally the word, mm-hmm. um, And then I suppose the other side of it as well was there was a lack of responsibility then because, you know, we had our builder saying, Hey, I sent you the plans. We had our architect saying, you know, X, Y, Z. And then we had the actual stair supplier basically being like, well, this isn't safe. I'm not putting my name to this. You guys messed it up. Cause you didn't tell me. And then I was on the call to all of them being like, can we just get this done? Like that took us, Honestly, the stairs mm-hmm. took us about six weeks. Yeah. Like, it should have been a day. It should have been the stair install day. Everything was done. But because of all the back and forth, all the issues, all the unforeseen kind of circumstances, took us six weeks and an extra, I think, about seven grand, mm-hmm. um, which we ended up having to foot the bill for that. Because, yeah, we again, did. Again, that was, you know, the column wasn't, wasn't kind of our... Wasn't in the original plan. And
0: Ronan basically had to arbitrate between yeah. the architect, the main builder, and then the producer of the stairs because there, like, there was a certain point at which those three parties were not talking to each other. Right. And like, unfortunately, you know, when you're doing a self-build like this, there are times when you have to step in and act as like a pseudo project manager just to get something over the line. And that really was the case with the stairs. The stairs broke our heart. Really, that was. Yeah. Uh, and you know the unfortunately the day that the stairs were due to be put in in the first instance you know they drilled a hole in the roof of our bedroom in order to fix the stairs and that was just open to the elements and um, for three weeks while they got their act together and um, so like rainwater went in there was a flood and you know I think we both have PTSD about getting um, uh, like water damage in the house after that, because, you know, you think, well, there's water damage in it. It's never going to be the same, but thankfully we haven't had any issues. No, it,
2: it was, it was sorted in the end. I think they had to re they had to redo the plastering in the bedroom on like where the kind of water gotten in. And mm. once it was sealed up, everything was fine. But yeah, it was, that was a, uh, that was one of those yeah stressor situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end yeah. of the day, I think it could have been handled if, I don't know, Better project management overall. I think that's one of the kind of learnings I had. Is like I wouldn't let them off with as much. I'd take full reins if I was to do that again.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure everyone understands fully what's, mm-hmm. what's expected. Yeah,
2: like duties as well. I think that, that's the key. We were grand with the the architect and the builder, right? We had the majority of duties outlined there. One of the things we didn't have was like a bur uh, a bur plan or a bur rating, and kind of a plan for that. That just fell off the wayside. So we're still trying to get that sorted, Astrid. We, we couldn't have that ready for the ar- article because nobody just thought about that during the course of the build. And then afterwards, it's too hard to get the information out of everyone. Um,
1: but like- Oh, it's just geez. No but aren't real- you, when they file, when, when you're, I'm assuming the architect filed your commencement notice, they would have had to put in a provisional- Building energy rating, I would have yeah, it would it
2: would have been an A based on plan. Like and the, okay. the, an oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the provision we yeah, we're mm-hmm. just trying to certify the windows. Um,
1: and
0: when like because having a very warm house was important to us, like we and you do have to have a couple of air tightness tests throughout the build. Like when the house was complete, we did have an airtightness test. And I think the company that did it actually thought the machine was broken because the airtightness was so good in the house, they had to do it a couple of times. And we're like, nope, it genuinely is like yeah. that, it's that good, good. It's in good shape.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, so are you going to be able to – you have to be able to get an energy rating. sure. Can't they just figure it out from all the specs? Like yeah, if you get so it,
2: the window quality has to be of X. I think I, I think there's you know the NZEB or whatever the regulations that came in. We we predate those. The issue is we don't have any building certs for the windows, and we're trying to get it off the builder, and I'm just kind of getting getting crickets on that. So I suppose right. that's been standing for the goods of a year. Um, so I'm trying to figure a way to whether it's get onto SEAI for a, for a for an exemption on the kind of requirement for the windows, and just take put in default ratings for the windows, and we'd still be an A. Um, so that's what I'm dealing mm-hmm. with right now. Um, I'm just trying to get yeah. that squared away. That's the only really kind of outstanding item because that'll help our mortgage too.
1: Yeah, geez, it, it's, it's, it's mad to think like you're in nearly two years, isn't it? You're still de- dealing with all that stuff. Still and still have yeah. your deposit back for the it seven grass.
0: It would be more of an issue, I think, if um, we were going to sell the house, you know, but we don't plan to right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, technically you're meant to do it even if you're just living in it, but like, obviously, I'm sure yeah. they have exemptions. I, uh, for I, I, when I, I, you're I'm, doing your way, best, I'm, like...
0: Uh, I'll do that okay. away.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure they, you know, as, as you said, they are human as well. I'm sure they understand there are things that are complicated. Um, mm. So any other tips and advice to others? Um, we covered a whole lot, but um, mm. in case we didn't we didn't um. cover the last little bits,
0: I think one of the things that um, I've taken away from the process is, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to take design risks. Like even if you don't know anyone else, for example, that's done something, but you have a vision for your house. Like we, we had never met anyone else who had, you know, waterproof plaster in their bathrooms, for example, but we really wanted to push for that contemporary feel in the house Uh, so we just went with it and we did take a risk on it and you know it's one of the things that you know anyone who comes to visit the house says wow like that's really different and it's really nice and you know it really is pulled off in the house and it keeps it really modern
1: so I think something like that yeah so where where did you source it how do you do you have to go to the UK for it
2: uh no that was actually I think it was tile tile style tile Tile
0: style style. yeah tile style and it had to be ordered in from Italy was it Ronan?
2: Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's an Italian company that makes those. So that was, yeah. that, was um, that was one. That was great. Like that, It took a, a bit of time to get it, but I think it was well worth the kind of finish that we
1: got in it. Um, and a as, as standard plasterer was able to follow the instructions and just mix it up and like you didn't yeah, you need a yeah, specialist. Yeah, I think it was like three
2: or four coats, um, but it hmm. got there in the end. So that was standard enough. And then I suppose another piece of advice really is like, you're going to get <laughs> very little notice to make a decision. So there'll be, you know, as, through, through the course of the bill, there'll be a deliverable that's due that day, right? We're doing this today, whatever it is, X amount, we're plastering, or we're, you know, we're framing this way. Um, and you'll need to make a decision on the spot. And that decision will potentially either haunt you for the rest, of, <laughs> the rest of the time you're in the house, because you're gonna know about it, or you have to be okay with making those decisions really quickly on the spot. So I think one thing that myself and Laura benefited from was just being on the same page as to what actually mattered, right? For us, what mattered was clean lines and light, right? And and our concrete floor. Our concrete floor went by the wayside due to just physical feasibility. Um, so we kind of replaced that. But, you know, you need to know, is this a battle worth fighting for, mm. right? And make those quick decisions and be okay with making a quick decision. Like
0: Yeah, you have to pivot because, you know, if you sit around taking time to make certain decisions, it's going to delay you know, your yeah, next or,
2: or you're or just going to, they're just going to make the decision for you and move on with your life. So it's like, you know, you'll get told stuff. Oh, this feels like a disaster. Like you'll get, you'll get news and you're going to interpret it as everything is burning when really it's just, <laughs> Hey, what color do you want the walls? Yeah. Right. Or, you know, like the way it's communicated to you is going to be direct and the way you interpret it has to be, okay, well, what else do I need to know? Or can I just make a decision based on the information I have available to me right now?
0: And I think the final thing that, We read this, I think Ronan read it in self-build magazine years ago, was that if there's two of you doing a a self-build like this, one of you needs to take primary responsibility for the build and everything related to the build. And that person was Ronan. Like Ronan micromanaged the build from start to finish. And he would make smaller decisions uh, and not refer them back to me, but anything that he thought was a major decision, then he would bring it to me. Uh, you know, you don't want to have, you know, two people on the same build emailing back and forth. Ronan was like their main contact person. He, di- he made a, an, an email address for the build for any vendors and service providers to email to. And that basically, you know, he maintained that. Um, and, and having that primary person as a point of contact is really, really useful
1: yeah 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 and you don't want them to be yeah you take one decision you don't know if the other took a decision yeah yeah it gets cross wires fairly quickly if you don't have that
2: yeah yeah i think i think the way we i think the way we dealt with it was anything like standard or physical or you know just based on i suppose framing or getting the getting the house up i just kind of managed and then anything that we would be seeing physically you know like whether it was a design decision cosmetic. or whether it was yeah cosmetic exactly yeah um that's where I really brought Laura in and was like, look, these are our two options. You know, it might be hard to imagine uh, X, or, X or Y. Um, these are the two options. This is what the outcome of those options would be. What do we want to do? Right. And it's like, I think we go this way. And then Laura would be like, actually, yeah, that'll look better or no, completely disagree. It'll look better this way. And that's how you deal with it. Right. So like one project managed, the other be like the cosmetic expert, mm-hmm. the, the designer, I suppose, is what kind of Laura was in that case.
0: Yeah. And then. I think finally we moved into the house with just a couch uh and a bed and you really don't have to front load the design part of the house you know like once you're in the interiors all that stuff will come after you want to get the feel of the house before you start doing all of those added extras and that's like we're to this day still doing small things to the house Uh, it's been two years you know and you know you want to do small changes over time and fill the house very slowly with things that are meaningful to you and not spend a ton of money at the outset getting too excited about the house within and you're going to pick things that just don't suit the house
1: yeah 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 100 percent. that's great stuff well listen guys thanks very much for your time really appreciate it thanks
2: Emily, for having us on
1: join us next time for more tips and advice from experts and self-builders alike and if you haven't already, subscribe to SelfBuild Plus. It'll give you full access to the selfbuild.ie website, including the Self-Build Plus Journey, which is your step-by-step guide to self-building and home improving. Your membership also gives you first access to all videos and podcasts, as well as access to our members-only Facebook group, which features regular Facebook Live events.